A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello, I'm Dave Berry and I am fascinated by my next door neighbor. His name is Neil Srinivasan and he's a leading cardiologist. Whether it's when we're chatting over the garden fence whilst doing a spot of gardening or catching up over a meal together with our lovely partners, I've always been left with more questions about his profession than I've been left with answers. In The Doctor Next Door, I'll be asking Neil the burning questions that keep me up at night, dissecting medical myths under his watchful eye and doing my utmost to learn more about an industry that is quite literally a matter of life and death. But this podcast isn't just about me. Oh, no, you need to be involved in these conversations, too. Let Neil be your doctor next door. So if you have any questions or any stories, send them along to doctoratnextdoorpod.com right now. Oh, hang on a second. That must be the doctor now. Neil. Hi, Dave. How are you? I'm very good, thanks. How are you? I'm good, man. Um, So we had Easter weekend. I'm quite smug about this, but instead of eating countless numbers of Easter eggs, uh, Sarah Jane and I, we we actually had a game of tennis in the local park. Very nice. So we did something healthy on a weekend where traditionally, I mean, religious beliefs aside, you're allowed to watch a Roger Moore Bond movie and just, you know, have loads of Easter eggs. I mean, you're looking at the man who, with an advent calendar... I actually opened the bottom of the box and slid out the tin foil innards. I see. And then popped them all in one sitting. <laughs> you went for it all. Very <laughs> yeah. good. E- Evie's being taught, you know, you open one a day, you yes. see the little message behind, but, or there's a little but, something. But you're one calendar a day, sort of. I'm a, <laughs> I'm a one calendar a day sort of guy. Um, let me ask you this, Neil. When it comes to chocolate, do you like it to be melted? Do you like it to be going... <laughs> around sorry about that sound or would you like it to be in the fridge now i'm a hardened by the fridge kind of guy. yeah i'm a cold chocolate man are you yeah hard chocolate this This is why we do this exactly so much in common so two reasons i think uh one uh, when i was little i actually grew up in india and the chocolate was always hot and melted and you just made a big mess everywhere trying to eat it you know when you bought from the shop and then i've got relatives in the states my dad actually lives in the states and you'll know you've been to the states quite a lot and recently as well when you go to the states hershey's is, yeah. is really hard, right? It's really yeah. tough. But actually, there's a charm to that. And I sort of warm to that over I, time. A hundred percent. How about you? Yeah, no, I, I completely agree. I don't, I don't know what the reasons are behind it, but there's just something quite nice about just getting that crunch factor that you get through. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, a fridge-chilled whisper... Yes. It's one of the great delicacies on planet Earth. Yeah. It's that cold feeling, (laughs) then you warm it up in your mouth and it melts. Yeah. It's fantastic. I've got a feeling that the plan I had for today's edition of the podcast, I'm going to throw out the window and I think (laughs) we're probably going to talk about chocolate some more because I'm loving this. Exactly. 
So, in each episode of The Doctor Next Door, I bring a burning medical question to Dr. Neil and we do a deep dive. Now, what I had planned, I won't reveal it now. We'll save it for a future episode of Doctor Next Door because we're mixing things up last minute after we started talking about chocolate. Um, I have to know, and I know many people out there will as well, is chocolate bad for your health? So that's a really great question, David. We know that calories, as we've talked about before, and lots of sugar is bad for your health. Mm-hmm. Um, and certainly, you know, a bar of chocolate, if you look at it, carries a lot of sugar, probably more than your daily recommended dose. High sugar is associated with increased risks of obesity, diabetes, of bad health, etc. Mm. And so one has to do that in moderation. But actually, the history of chocolate really d- dates back to you know, almost 500 BC. So it's something that was discovered in South America. And the South American tribes at that time began using chocolate actually as a medicinal plant. So it's cacao is the plant. And they used to make it in in beverages and things. And they used to use it for all sorts of things, treating infection, brewing a drink that contained some uh, silk cotton uh, tree bark with it and use it for children with diarrhea, for instance, and also for treating coughs and, and colds. So it's been used for many years as a medicine. And then the obviously the Europeans came to South America and that's how we sort of discovered this drink and then discovered the plant and then discovered making, you know, the chocolate that we make and eat today. And in the early sort of European discovery times, it, it was used for gout, for hemorrhoids, for angina, for if you're tired. So it does have some medicinal properties. Some of that is related to the type of chocolate you eat. So really dark chocolate has probably some benefits and there's some data with re- regard to that. Oh, so that's true. Yeah. Because I won't name any brands, but I know that there was this kind of this surge in just eating really dark, bitter chocolate. That's right. And they were putting it under the guise that this is not necessarily good for you, but better for you than milk chocolate. Certainly. I mean, dark chocolate in certain, you know, people with diabetes and stuff, it tends to be the recommended thing if they're going to try to eat chocolate. It certainly has less sugar. And you're looking for a chocolate that has, you know, more than 70% cocoa content. So really dark chocolate with a high cocoa content. And in in that setting, things like, you know, there's thought to be some benefits to your heart health. It contains some antioxidants, which might help in reducing your risk of heart attacks, blood clots, reduce your blood pressure. There are flavonoids in there, which are thought to, you know, help your immune system, boost your immune system, combat diabetes, those kind of things. And also improve your brain function. The flavonoids are thought to affect the hormones in the brain, make you more alert, make you more alive, boost your athletic performance. So there are some benefits. Yeah. Wow. You could use it for your uh, pre-tennis, see if you can beat Sarah Jane <laughs> yeah, I'm going to have a whisper. Exactly. And then I'm going on to send A dark call. whisper, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> With more than 70% cocoa content, yeah. Wow. So, so yeah. So, so there, there are health benefits to it. As well, you, know, you talk about, uh, you know, you talk about the physical side of what chocolate can do for you. A lot of people link it to, uh, there's a mental health aspect to it as well, because a lot of people, if they're having a, a torrid time, yeah. there's something nice about getting on the sofa and, and having, having a Having a bar of chocolate. Yeah. Absolutely. I think that, it, that comes down to this idea we talked about brain function and about mood boosting effects and some of the chemicals in chocolate. But as we've talked, you know, before, it's all in moderation. It's really important to bear in mind that, you know, a big bar of chocolate still, even if it's dark chocolate, contains a fair bit of sugar. And one has to be careful about your sugar intake in in your health. 
And as we all go through life, you know, you have to kind of learn those lessons. And that's why this podcast for me has, has been so valuable. It is about kind of doing things in, in the right quantity. But what I want to know, Neil, is, is that there was a time before we were so well informed. There was a time when I would eat a, a five pack of Snickers. Wow. I was about 13. I used to come back from school and I would go up to my room. I'd put Super Mario World on, the mm-hmm. Super Nintendo, mm-hmm. and have five Snickers. <laughs> I mean, my, I must bring this up with my parents. Where, where, yeah. where were you? Where were you, mum and dad? Um, what's the most amount of so, chocolate you've had in one season? So that's a really good question. And I think that's kind of normal, actually. As a lot of growing up, and particularly when you're 13 and stuff, your metabolism is very different. You really have a high metabolic rate. Yeah. So I wonder whether the damaging effects of that amount of sugar is less than, you know, us at our age now. Yeah. yeah I was very similar to you. So I would go play football on a Sunday. And then on the way home, we'd always stop at a petrol station and I would buy a one kilogram bar of chocolate Cadbury's dairy milk every time. I would sit there, feet up with my shins, you know, cut shin to shreds and shin pads on and stuff, watch yeah. Football Italia on the yeah, afternoon course, and eat yeah. a whole one kilogram bar of dairy milk. That was me. I mean, I suppose as we've touched on before in the podcast, you know, we're, we're laughing at this, but we need to bring it round to the fact that kids love chocolate, don't yeah. they? I mean, 99% of yes. kids love chocolate. Yeah. So you've got to just keep half an eye out if you're a parent. Yeah. I think you need, as we've talked earlier as well, it's all in balance. Yeah. And we know that, you know, building those negative addictions in kids will then risk obesity, will risk diabetes. And there are some kids in whom they're not as lucky as us in their metabolism at a young age. And heavy amounts of chocolate and lots of sugar and lots of sweets you know, damage their teeth. It makes them obese at the young age, mm. gives them diabetes. Mm. So it's all in moderation. And, you know, you hope as well, like I did, thankfully, you just kind of grow out. Yes. You know, no offence to the humble Snickers, but the idea of having to eat five <laughs> Snickers now is like something I'd have to do when I'm a celebrity, get me out yeah. of here. You know, it's not a pleasurable way of exactly. spending a Monday afternoon. Yeah. Um, now, let me ask you this as well, Neil. Um, you know, it was Easter weekend. Uh, often eggs come in mugs. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, you get the Whisper mug, you yep. get the, the Dairy Milk mug. What's your mug, Pride and Joy? I have a Kit Kat mug at work, actually. <laughs> Time now on Doctor Next Door for my favourite part, and it seems many of yours as well. Yes, it is time to continue my medical training. Is Dr Neil accomplished enough as a medical professional that he can whip a humble radio DJ into Dr Material? That's what we've been finding out since we started, and it continues right now. So last week, Neil, I got two out of three, which I'm really happy with. I thought you did really well. And you've got three more medical questions for me and everyone listening right now. Absolutely. Okay. So keep up the good work, David, and keep up the good work, all of the audience. So your first question is, what is the Framingham risk score? And this is a best of three. So the Framingham risk score is a tool for assessing your risk of cardiovascular disease. Is it a measure of a patient's knowledge about preventing sexually transmitted infections or is it a quantification of risky alcohol habits so a b or c tool for assessing cardiovascular disease a measure of the patient's knowledge about preventing sexually transmitted infections or a quantification of risky alcohol habits franningham Framingham, F-R-A-M. Framingham. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like that makes a difference. Ah, M, not N. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, would you give me one based on cardiology? 
Okay, I've made my I've made my guess, and okay. it is a guess. Okay. So, question two again, best of three. What is a cervical rib? A cervical rib. Is it a an extra rib near the neck? Is it b a broken rib that threatens to puncture the lungs? Or C, the name of the lowest rib in your rib cage, cervical rib. Just so you know, ladies and gentlemen, Doctor Neil is unblinking when he delivers these questions. There's, there's not a tell. Have you ever played poker? No, I should you know. You used to be so good at poker, I reckon. <laughs> I mean, I, I don't play either, but you just you don't give anything away. I always look for a little tell, maybe a twitch, no, anything like that. Not getting that. Nothing. No. Okay, I think I've done really rather badly this week already, okay. and there's still one question still to, one go. to go. Yeah, okay. Exactly. So, to make it easier for you, it's your favourite bit, true or false, question three. Uh, true or false, human skin glows in the dark. Is that true or is that false? Human skin glows in the dark? Just trying to think of the last person I saw naked in the dark. <laughs> <laughs> Oh no, that has a that's a horrible set. Tough one. Medical training yeah. questions. 50-50 though. Gives you a chance oh. at the end. Neil will be revealing all next, but first here's another podcast from the wonderful, talented, and amazing producers who clearly write this bit of the script. <laughs> Hello, I'm Jess Phillips, an MP, and if you don't already know, I'm now a fully fledged podcaster. My show is called Yours Sincerely, and in each episode, I invite a guest to celebrate three people that mean the world to them. Someone they love, someone who's no longer around, and someone who doesn't realise how significant a role they've played in their lives. I've spoken to Lorraine Kelly about the letter she would send to celebrate her favourite teacher, Vicky Patterson about the letter she would send to her best friend who passed away, and Fee Glover talked to me about how much she loves Taylor Swift. The conversations are a celebration of people we love. And so we often find ourselves in tears of joy and sadness as guests share the letters of appreciation they wish they could send. You can find them on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or by searching for Jess Phillips wherever you listen to podcasts. And with that, I'll sign off with yours sincerely, Jess Phillips. I hope you get to enjoy my podcast soon. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello HelloFresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. 
Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello and welcome back to Doctor Next Door. Before the break, Doctor Neil once again gave me three questions to test my medical knowledge and it is time for us all to discover the answers. Neil, can you remind us all of question one, please? So, David, your first question was, what is the Framingham risk score? And your possible answers were a tool for assessing the risk of cardiovascular disease. Was it B, a measure of a patient's knowledge about preventing sexually transmitted infections? Or C, a quantification of risky alcohol habits? I've gone for the last one. I've gone for the alcohol habits. Oh, David. It's not good, is it? I'm sorry. Yeah. What is it? The answer is A, actually. It's a tool for oh. assessing the risk of cardiovascular disease. I didn't know we were going to go all cardio. Oh, sorry. Yeah, it was a trick question. <laughs> oh. So Framingham's actually a town in Massachusetts. It's near Boston, obviously, where there's some amazing hospitals. And they basically collected the population of Framingham and looked at what happened to the population of Framingham. So there's this amazing data set. One of the first things of this kind ever designed. It was designed in the late 60s, 70s. Wow. And they looked at what happened to these people over the next, you know, 10 years, etc. And it keeps updating. So the risk score gets better and better by following this huge population data set. And so based on your age, your sex, your cholesterol levels, your diabetes, blood pressure, smoking habits, you can work out from that a risk score of how like you are to uh, have a cardiac event, so a cardiovascular heart attack or a stroke, for instance. And there are loads of other bits and bobs that have come out of that, you know, peripheral artery, artery disease, strokes, other things from that risk score. And it was the first time that was ever done. And one of the you know big things we use to predict events in patients and guide treatment. Well, bravo to the people of Framingham, which yeah. is in the top five things I thought I'd never say out loud when exactly. I woke up this morning. <laughs> How many people took part in this, do you know, roughly? So, great question. Um, when it was originally designed, David, there were about nearly 12,000 people in the study and the patients were somewhere between 20 to 79 years of age and uh, no self-reported you know, disease itself. They didn't have heart disease, etc. And then they followed this group of patients on over time. And I think over time they've actually added more patients to that cohort and then you know use that to then stratify okay right off that group of patients the people who have had a cholesterol of x go on to have a heart attack so that's where right. we get the guidelines so when you go and see we have actually uk guidelines which are slightly different now but they're all based on what we learned from framingham in that you know if you go and see your gp and your gp says your cholesterol is high they'll give you certain medications or certain advice based on that so like jim who lives in framingham he might be offered a greasy bacon sandwich and 20 cigarettes and he'll go no i can't the people from the hospital are coming around to check up on me exactly in, yeah. in two days <laughs> yeah. exactly wow okay but no points for me no, sorry We'll go to our second question now, David. So question two was, what is a cervical rib? And your answers, possible answers were A, was it an extra rib near the neck? B, a broken rib that threatens to puncture the lungs? Or C, the name for the lowest rib on your rib cage? I've gone for C. Oh, no, not again. Oh, that's twice. You're almost there. What was your other possibility? Well, I didn't. The second one, B. Oh, no, it was A. <laughs> Cervical, you see. So there are a series of bones in your spine, 
right? And the ones in your neck up to, let's say, where your chest starts, they're called cervical, oh. right? The chest area is called your thorax. So the spinal bones that go from, let's say, your collarbones, your chest area, down to the end of your ribs, they're called your thoracic. And then... Thoracic Park's one of my favourite movies. Exactly. <laughs> Oh dear. This is why I'm failing my medical training, isn't it? <laughs> that and Super Mario, yeah. <laughs> Happens to us all in the third year, don't worry, we get, all get a bit bored. Sit and play okay. video games. That's what I mean, technically yeah. I'm in my third year exactly. now. Exactly. Okay. And then the lower bit, obviously, you'll know is your lumbar, you know, the bit below your, okay. your thing. So when it says cervical rib, that belongs to the cervical area. So it's, it's, it's near your neck and it's an extra rib. About one in 500 people have this extra rib, often on both sides, above your collarbone. So an extra rib that goes high up. Um, and you don't often get troubled by it. You just incidentally pick it up. But it can be associated with, you know, things like nerve entrapment. So all the nerves run from your neck into that space where your collarbone is, behind your collarbone. And so if you have an extra rib there, it can make the space quite small where the nerves and arteries travel. So people might get, you know, numbness, tingling, pain down the hand, those kind of symptoms. Right. And it can instantly be found to be related to a cervical rib. And sometimes you have to have an operation for that. Wow, okay. Um, I hope you got that one right where you are. I am doing miserably. I did predict I would be doing miserably. Uh, so, third and final question is a 50-50. It's true or false. I need this to rescue one point. Yeah. Which is one of my worst showings in the yeah, illustrious history of Doctor Next Door. doing so well. And then okay. we've clearly thrown you a curveball this week. Um, so, it was true or false. There's the human skin glow in the dark. I have gone for false. Oh, David, no. no. No, it's not zero out of three. Zero out of three no! <laughs> no way! Yeah. I'm so sorry. We'll make next week easier, I promise. Zero out of three? Yeah. Can you believe it? If you if you tell Brooklyn Dan about this... <laughs> oh, no! Yeah. I was quite surprised with this one. I've never got zero out of three. You've never got... You've always got really high marks. In fact, I don't think you've even got one out of three, have you? No, I don't think I have. You've always been a two out of... Or three out of three person. Very strange. Funny questions, though. Fair to I've not felt... I don't know what this... It's a strange sensation, but I felt it before. I think it's... I think it's my maths GCSE. <laughs> it's the same feeling then. Oh, dear. So that's interesting, isn't it? Apparently, Japanese scientists. I don't have used... care. I, do, oh, right. I don't care. Okay, I'm let's too not livid. Talk about I it. What? Yeah. Like, hang on, the human skin glows in the dark. Yeah. Actually, you know what I am quite interested in. Tell me what the Japanese scientists are saying. So they, they use this ultra sensitive camera. So probably it's a bit of a trick question, isn't it? Ultra sensitive cameras to discover that human skin actually gives off some sort of light, like a firefly. So. That's probably why you haven't noticed it before, because we don't yeah. see it, right? The question was, does the human body let out some kind of light? Yeah. Some I would kind have said true. Ultra -sensitive, I would have got... Sensitive to ultra-sensitive exactly. yeah, Even true, if you said, what have Japanese scientists discovered recently, Dave, I would have got it right. But, <laughs> exactly. Well, yeah. 1,000 times too, too faint for the human eye to see, I'm afraid, so... Bioluminescence, it's called. You see it in those you know, fish and stuff and David Attenborough shows. Uh, there's a saying where, where I'm from. It's it's called being mugged off. <laughs> <laughs> so 
So the Doctor Next Door isn't just about myself and Dr. Neil. We absolutely love it when you get in touch and share not only your questions and your stories, but to also give a shout out to anyone who you know from the world of medicine that you think deserves a little bit of recognition. So you can email us about any of those things, doctor at nextdoorpod.com, or you can find us on the socials at docnextdoorpod. So let's have this week's correspondence. And this week, Juliet has emailed us. Hello, Juliet. She says, hi, Dave and Dr. Neil. I'm curious to know why I get so tired after a big meal. I know it's a fairly common feeling, and I'm sure both of you have experienced it yourselves. But I'd love to know why and what the science is behind it. Best Juliet. Well, thank you, Juliet. Lovely having you getting in touch. It's a good question. Why do we get tired after big meals? Are there specific meals that make us tighter than others? Yeah, so you're absolutely right. Foods that are rich in protein and certain foods which are rich in carbohydrates do make us feel sleepier. There's a mixture of reasons for that. So one simple thing is that actually, you know, large meals, large protein meals and large carbohydrate meals, a lot of blood is then sequestered to the abdomen in order to absorb that and process that food. So you're then therefore taking some of your reserve blood away from the brain, making you more tired, for instance. But actually, there are also some chemical reasons. So some research suggests that there's a chemical called serotonin, which is regulating in mood and sleep cycles, which is released with certain types of food, particularly high protein and particularly high carbohydrate meals. And also there's a very importantly an amino acid called tryptophan, which is contained in certain protein-rich foods and also in some carbohydrates. And it's thought that those are associated with making you more sleepy. So there's actually some chemicals in the food itself and also some chemicals regulated in the brain, which get triggered by certain types of food to make you sleepy. So which types of foods are the biggest culprits for this? What could Juliet possibly cut out of her diet if she doesn't want to feel tired after a big meal? So uh, foods that contain, you know, rich protein and particularly um, a lot of tryptophan are things like poultry, eggs, salmon, spinach, and then particularly uh, cheese. So cheese such as, you know, cheddar cheese, parmesan has a lot of tryptophan. And then obviously we all know the sort of traditional Christmas turkey story, you know, where turkey has a lot of tryptophan, probably more than other sort of meats that we would eat in that Christmas period. And the famous sort of fall asleep after Christmas lunch type thing because of, you know, high tryptophan content in turkey. Oh, I thought that was because I start drinking at 9am on Christmas Day. Well, that, that's also <laughs> contributory, and so we must bear that it's in like, mind. It's a lethal combination <laughs> a lethal of the two together. Of the two, yeah. Right, OK. Oh, that's interesting. So that's because, we, obviously, people don't traditionally eat turkey throughout the rest of the year, mm-hmm. and there is that, that falling asleep in front of the TV with the paper crown on your head. Yeah. It's a stereotypical image of a Christmas day. Yeah. So, so it's a mixture of those factors, as you say, volume of food, you know, more blood to the abdomen because of that alcohol, as you say, carbohydrates, but the tryptophan content in Turkey certainly plays a part. So if you're kind of looking at a big lengthy shift uh, working in an NHS hospital, for example, Neil, if someone offers you a giant bowl of spaghetti bolognese with cheese on top, maybe some potatoes on the side... You, stay well clear. Stay okay. Yeah, I mean, we often have this uh, pizza run sometimes when we're feeling in desperate need of some carbohydrates. But even then, you've got to be careful because it's you know if you eat like half a pizza, then you're just really sleepy for the rest of your shift. So the the trick is to try and eat little and often, 
and uh, try and keep mobile. So large volumes and, and, you know, having large volumes of carbohydrate or tryptophan rich meals can make you very sleepy. So what can Juliet do to stop feeling tired? Mm, she has to keep, you know, mobile. Don't eat make so sure. much, and, Juliet. Yeah, and, <laughs> and, and actually, you're right. Yeah, large volumes of meals yeah. are going to be triggering this. And then, you know, trying to think about foods that contain tryptophan. But really, it's about eating little and often, particularly if you're worried about this. I suppose as well, it's uh, Juliet, if I may add my little bit in, as I often do, um, it's about picking your your times when you're going to do this because it's nice to feel full. Um, it's a, a, a privilege and a pleasure to be able to feel full in the times in which we, we currently live. So, you know, if you've got nothing on for the rest of the day, then go for it. Yeah. Enjoy that sensation. Exactly. But maybe if you are at work or you've got something to do in the day or whatever it may be, just... Cut it down a little bit and you'll, and you'll be fine. Yeah. And I think the other important thing to say is, you know, if you're continually feeling tired after eating, you've taken those measures, avoided large meals, etc. It's worth checking in with your doctor because sometimes it can be associated with things like food intolerances, allergies, celiac disease, anemia, diabetes. All of those things can interplay with this. So okay. if it's something that's, you know, slightly outside of what we've, you know, jokingly talked about which is you know big christmas meal or you know indulgence or high tryptophan meals then that's something you want to get checked out as always fantastic advice neil thank you very much indeed and thank you once again to juliet for her correspondence you can as i say email us anytime you like it's doctor at nextdoorpod.com And that's it for the latest edition of this, The Doctor Next Door. As ever, thank you to my regular co-host and next-door neighbour, Dr Neil Shrinivasan. Next Wednesday, Dr Neil will again be guiding me through the medical world. I'll have another burning question and we'll be answering more of your questions too. Please rate, review and subscribe from wherever you usually get your podcasts. And if you do know a doctor, nurse or medical professional who you think might enjoy what you've just heard, then do let them know about us. Now, all this talk of eating and napping has reminded me that that's what I've got to do some Please. Good night, Dave. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. <laughs>